Well, I, I am so thrilled that I get to be a part of a church that would do something like that. And I'm watching more and more churches go, maybe, maybe we should do something like that and putting homes for, for the homeless uh, in our area. And so uh, let's hope more of that happens. And again, I'm just so grateful for a church that would say, we've got land. Why don't we create space and uh, invite neighbors to come be a part of that with us? So way to go. All right, as we get started today, uh, I want to tell you my hope this morning is to walk you through something that I think some of you have been needing to hear your whole life. Um, I know that is so dramatic sounding, like very dramatic. And, and who do I think that I am? I'm going to tell you something you've been waiting to hear is if I can tell you something you haven't already heard, uh, is if there's anything I can say that is on par with the most important truths you've ever grasped. Uh, and you are right. I am not all that special. But the thing that I want to tell you about today is, and it makes all the difference. Truth is, I, I think you might have heard some of what I want to tell you about before, but not heard all of it. You might have missed one word. I'll, I'll share that word in a, in a minute. But again, for some of you, this is the truth you've been waiting for. And then I think for others of you, you've heard this truth before. You've received it, but maybe you've been hoarding it. You've been keeping it all to yourself. Or maybe you've missed this one little word when you tell other people this truth. And as I said, this word makes all the difference. Uh, I just want to say to you, if you've heard it before, I hope the way that we talk about it today gets you excited about sharing this thing too. Because if I am right, if I am right that this is something people have been waiting their whole lives to hear, then how are they going to hear if you and I don't tell them? So... Let's get into it. Uh, I, I want to try an experiment with you. You have to try and decide between one of two lives that we're going to put up on the screen, okay? Life A or life B. In life A, you have been brought up in a wealthy family, and you will never have financial concerns as long as you live. Anything you want is available. You can afford the nicest home, the most delicious food, the finest of wines, the best cars. You, can, you, you have fashion sense that is impeccable because you can afford the trendiest of clothes. And if you don't know what to pick out, you can hire a stylist to do it for you. But there is one thing in this world that you do not have in life, A. You have never found love. When I say that, what I mean is your relationship with your parents is kind of lukewarm, your siblings as well. Every dating app you go on, even when you pay for the upgraded features on it, you can't find that special person. And it's gotten to the point where you've begun to wonder whether love is even possible for you. And all of this has led to you feeling lonely in spite of all of your other needs being taken care of. You feel some loneliness. Now that is life A. Life B is a little bit different. In life B, you are deeply in love with someone that you are sure is the person of your dreams. They are your soulmate. There's never a question about whether they love you or not. You just know it and you feel it. And you have children and, and your kids cannot leave the room without hugging you and telling you how much they love you. Isn't that your experience already? And you have many friends who constantly express their love for you. Too many people to count. Uh, you have to turn down invitation after invitation because you just can't keep up with all the people and the way they want to express their love. <laughs> but, but you and your partner are in over your heads financially. You struggle to pay your bills on time every single month. You manage, but it's not easy. All right, here's the experiment. Which would you choose? 
Now, I don't know about you, but I would choose life B. Uh, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of things in life A that I would love, but if I had all of those things and I did not have love, I would rather have life B. My guess is that you would too. Uh, actually, I think we'd all prefer an option C, something in the middle. <laughs> But, but, but what that says about us, we all know something very important for us in this life, that love is a basic human need. You know, I know, that in order for a person to thrive in this lifetime, they need to have experienced love. Now, sometimes when we say love, we immediately think romantic, and that's okay, but, but it's certainly a lot more than that. To thrive, we mean love between friends, and love from your parents, and love from your coworkers, possibly, and, and even your grandparents. And did you know, even love from your pets is something that can help you to thrive? So that's all good. Any of those loves help meet the need, but there is a problem. Even with all of those options for love, love is not always easy to find. And when you do find it, it often has a way of dissipating over the course of relationships. Love can be tricky. Like, for example, you can think that you love a friend and a friend loves you, maybe somebody you work with, maybe it's even somebody here you go to church with. You are good friends, and then one day, you find out that something you told them in private, something very risky of you to share, they went and told somebody else. And they did it in a way they even made fun of you or, or they were complaining about you. And you hear about this and you feel betrayed and it causes you to question how much that person really loves you. Or with a group of friends, a group, right? You can think you have a bond of love with each other and all is good until you notice that every time you express to them your interests or your opinions, they are dismissive of you. Just dismiss what you think. And you start to wonder, maybe they don't love me as much as I love them. You can have a parent where every time they call you on the phone, they never ask about you. They just call to tell you about their lives. Barely even know what you do for a living. And it can cause you to feel unseen and unappreciated. And you wonder, do you, do you love me? Or do we just talk because this is what parents and adult children are supposed to do? You can have a spouse that you are deeply in love with. You, you were head over heels for each other, built a life together. You planned for old age together. They were your soulmate, only to find out that they have betrayed you. And they come to you and they tell you, I don't love you anymore. My guess is your lowest moments in life were moments that you felt significantly unloved. That is about as low a feeling as you will ever experience. And when I say that love is tricky, what I mean is you can have love from some people but be missing love from other people and that unlovedness can completely take you out of balance and health and harmony. Because when you feel even a little bit unloved, there is something in you, a voice in you, that tells you why you are that way. I am not intelligent enough. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not interesting enough. I am not accomplished enough to be loved by that person. Or, 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 or go the other way around. I am too much. I am too much trouble. I am too much drama. I'm too sensitive. I'm too neurotic. I'm too flawed. I have too many wounds. I'm too big of a project. And the reason that those thoughts all come, usually, usually, usually if you have those thoughts, it's because we find ourselves feeling 
unloved by somebody. All right, then, you know what our minds do after doing a bit of thinking about that stuff? They think, well, if the people over here who really do love me ever open their eyes and see all this stuff about me that those unloved people, oh, people who don't love me see, then they will agree with those other people and they will find me unlovable too. Every single one of us, I'm telling you, every single one of us has somebody who used to love us that no longer does. And my hope is that you've been able to shake that off and just go find love from somebody else. But what I also know to be true is those unloved moments, they stick. And the reason I said earlier that today we're gonna talk about something that maybe, maybe you've been waiting to hear your whole life is because this thing that I wanna tell you has the ability to take this part of you that feels unloved and bring wholeness to it and fullness and prevent that unlovedness from having power over you. So let me tell you what this thing is. The other day, I was talking to a friend about a new restaurant in town that they had tried. I'd been wanting to try it myself. Hadn't had a chance yet. So I asked them the question, hey, how was it? And my friend said, it was so good. A few weeks before that, I was getting my hair cut. The guy who cuts my hair had just gotten back from uh, Tennessee with his family. And I said, how are things in Tennessee? And he said, oh my gosh, Tennessee was so great. Not just great, but it was so great. Uh, another friend I work with got a new car and three of us were going to a lunch meeting. And I said, can you take us in your new car? Uh, this thing is kind of a sports car. And I said, what kind of pickup does this car have? How fast is it? And they said, zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds. It is so fast. Okay, every day you use words to describe things. Good, great, fast. If you're talking about your toast, you might describe it as burnt. If you're talking about the weather, you might describe it as hot. But there is one word you use before those words to heighten or really emphasize whatever it is that you are talking about, to make it clear. The thing that you are describing is this thing you're describing it as to such a great extent. And by now, you probably figured out what that word is. So... The toast wasn't just burnt, it was so burnt. The weather's not just hot, it is so hot, and that car was not fast, it was just so fast. And the reason that matters right now, and the reason I want you to know this, is that the Bible uses that word so to heighten a description of you. It says that you are this thing that you are to such a great extent, it changes everything about you. You are so this. What the Bible tells us twice, not just once, not 500 times, but twice, is that you are so loved. Now, I'm going to show you where it says that, but first, let's talk about this idea of so in connection with you being loved. And I want to put something up on the screen behind me. Um, this is a depth chart. Shout out to the Bee Gees. This is a depth chart showing a number of things in this world that are lovable. And I'm going to label these things as we go, okay? Like, I'll just give you some of the things that I love. Among the things I love, I love pizza. Uh, some of you do too. That gets to go up on the chart. Uh, I, I don't mean I love it so much that I eat it every day, but I love it. I always have. I always will. Uh, I'm on a diet right now, and uh, when I cheat, I like to cheat with pizza. Uh, and I have never been to New York, which is crazy to me. Uh, of all the places I've been, never been there. But as I understand it, some people love New York. Uh, they bought the t-shirt. That goes up on the chart. And while I do not love swimming in the Pacific Ocean, which to me looks cold and full of great white sharks every time I look at it, I love the beach. 
I love the shore. G give me a shore anywhere. That is my comfort place. That goes up on the chart. All right, lots of people love puppies. What puppy lovers do we have out here? Uh, or anything furry, we can just lump in. Things with fur. Things with fur, we love. Uh, I love a warm drink on a cold day. And a close second to that, I love towels and blankets straight from the dryer. With that dryer smell, who does not love that, right? Now, all of those are things, and things, lovely as they are, lovable as they are, they tend to occupy the less deep parts of this chart. They're still loved. They're just loved a little less than what I'm about to show you next, which is people. I love my friends, you do too. Part of what makes them your friends is you feel something for them. And you love your family. You, you, you probably love your parents, I hope. And uh, you certainly love your kids, I hope. And you hopefully love or you still love your significant other, although this one's interesting, right? Um, those of you who, who are married or, or have been partnered up with somebody for a long time, uh, do you remember when you first said, I love you to that person? Uh, I remember for me saying I love you was a big commitment. It was like a scary thing to say. It, it was a big jump going from I like you to I love you. So I remember uh, baby stepping my way there with Andrea. Andrea, I think that I might be falling in love with you. How noncommittal is that? That was telling her I'm not saying I love you yet. I'm letting you know I'm on the road to love and I might get there someday. Uh, next year we'll have been married for 25 years. And I, I think I... Uh, I think I might just be about ready to say it, you guys. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I love you. <laughs> I love you. Uh, but uh, we get a little bit skittish on this one because we know, all right, we know this is really, really deep love. This is commitment at this point. If I say I love you to somebody that I'm dating, I, I can't just walk away the next day. I mean, I can, but the person will wonder whether I ever really meant it. Because love at these last four depths suggests some sort of commitment. Well, where I'm going with all of this is that the Bible says that you are loved by God. And that should be wonderful news to your ears, that the God of the universe thinks of you, knows your name, and even with all of your faults and all of your flaws, still loves you. But even that truth is not the thing that some of you have been waiting for your whole life. Just that he loves you isn't the thing that makes all the difference. In fact, you have probably been told so many times that God loves you that it might not even do anything for you anymore. Hearing he loves you might be kind of unremarkable. The real question is, how deep does God love you? And because we love so many things, we maybe assume that God loves us like he loves puppies or a warm drink on a cold day. Or he loves us like I love a friend or I love my significant other. But here, here is something I need to tell you that maybe you have never thought of. The extent to which you understand the depth of God's love for you is the extent to which you will stop feeling unloved. And let me say that again, but a little bit simpler. Your understanding of the depth of God's love for you has a direct correlation to your ability to let go of the unloveness and the junk that goes with it. And in fact, a life-changing experience of Jesus is only gonna be as life-changing as you're willing to believe and accept the depths of his love for you. Let me explain. If you believe God loves you like you love pizza, then you probably think that God is into you but could take or leave you some days. <laughs> 
Or if you believe that God loves you like you love the beach, all right, God loves me, but at the end of the day, he wants to go home and shower off all the sand. (laughs) If you believe he loves you like you love a friend, then he needs a break from you every once in a while, right? Or maybe you go bigger and you believe he loves you like a parent loves their child, which is a lot, which is a ton, but parents, aren't there moments that you look forward to your kids going to bed so you can be alone? (laughs) All of our examples and connections of love, everyone we can think of, our relationships that help us explain our love or show what love looks like, every single one of them does not do justice to the depth of God's love for you. Even, even if you believe that God loves you like you love your spouse or your partner, then you do not know how much God loves you. The truth is, you are not loved a little by God. You are not loved a a, a normal amount by God, whatever normal is. You are so loved. You are so loved that, that the Bible says God's love for you, you, individual, you fill in your name. His love is so deep that something, something, could it be? God's love for you is so great that it so changes everything. The first time the Bible says it is in John 3. I'm going to put it up. And and, and so many of you have heard it so many times, it doesn't even mean anything anymore. And I want you to try to hear it today like you're hearing it for the first time. For God so loved the world, that includes you, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What it says is God loved you, loves you so deeply that he would go to the cross for you, even with all that is not right about you, and give his life. All right, time out. This verse is problematic on a bunch of levels. First off, why did he give his life and go to the cross? I didn't ask anybody to go to the cross for me. And second, it doesn't say that he went to the cross. It says he sent his son, which is crazy. Who sacrifices their life of their own child, especially for somebody like me? And third, what is this about perishing? As, as much as this is meant to be a feel-good, God loves me verse, it's, it's kind of a veiled threat. If I don't believe in him, I perish. Way to butter me up with love and then stick it to me with the perish thing. And those are all really good questions. And I'll give you some really good answers, but quick. Why give? Why give his life? Because you and I are sinners. We, we sin. And the Bible tells us that separates us from God. A holy God cannot hang in the presence of sin. Now, real quick, can I tell you, historically, Christians in the church have done a real number in trying to convince people that they are sinners and shame them into a life that is different than the life that they lead. You're a sinner, and you're a sinner, and you are a sinner, and God wants nothing to do with you because of your sin. All right, it is not surprising to me that many of you feel unloved by God. But can I tell you, that is a bastardization of the message of the Bible. Because the message of the Bible is that while you were, are a sinner, God so loved you that he died for you. Romans 5, 8 says that, and actually it says this, take a look at this, that God demonstrates his love for us in that we were sinners and he still would do this. The fact is, the overall narrative of the Bible is that love and sin go together. 
our response to God is often sin. And you know what God's response to us is? Always love. And I say that to you this morning, that you're a sinner, not to make you feel bad, because so am I. I say it because you will not understand how deep God's love is for you if you don't understand that even with all that is wrong with you and me, and he knows it all, he has not stopped loving you. And more and more that God would go to the cross. Now, now I, I said that he would go to the cross, but it says in that verse his son went to the cross. So problem number two, who sacrifices their child for a stranger like me? For a sinner like me? And here's how I would answer that. Jesus was not a helpless pawn. Jesus chose to go to the cross and take our sins. And here's why this is so important. This act is not that just God the Father so loved you, but God the Son, Jesus, so loved. Look at what Jesus said himself. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. All right, let's go back to this thing, this depth chart. Jesus said, the deepest level of love that anybody can ever have is to give their life. And then he went and he did it for you. Yes, John 3.16 tells us God sent his son, but make no mistake, Jesus willingly, sacrificially, out of his deep love for you, went to the cross with you on his mind. And he took your sin so that so that you can have eternal life. Let's talk about that third problem, that third question, perish. All right, everything perishes. Our food perishes, even pizza. And New York is gonna perish. I saw a movie on it one day with Kurt Russell, Escape from New York, great movie. And, and depending on your take on climate change, the beach is gonna perish. There, there, there may be a new one right here in the Tri-Valley at some point, and we'll all own beachfront property. And more seriously, our, our relationships perish, don't they? Marriages perish, and you will perish. And perish is not punishment. It's the natural result of us and sin. And, and what this verse says is, Jesus brings life to that which is perishing, that Jesus went to the cross to instead give you eternal life. All right. These problems are not problems when you understand the depth of God's love for you, but there is a problem. There is a real problem, my friends. I can tell you that God loves you, and you can leave here today believing that. Think to yourself, oh man, it feels good to know that God loves me. It might even be inspiring, and next time you see some angry, crazy person standing on a street corner with a sign saying that God hates you, you could say, well, that's not true. God loves me. I heard it at Crosswinds. Uh, in fact, it might even change your life a little bit to know that God loves you. That might be a life-changing experience of Jesus, to know that he loves you, and he teaches you great things. But here's the problem, real problem. Unless you are a total narcissist or a person with grandiose delusional disorder who never has a self-critical moment and you think everything you do is great and you can do no wrong, unless you are that, which I'm hoping you're not, you will have a moment where you recognize what's wrong with you. Might be that you're not as honest as you could be, or you're not as patient as you could be, or you're not as generous as you probably should be, and, and, and you say things that hurt people from time to time, and as much as you wanna be loyal, there are moments that you lapse, and that you are not as loving to the people in your life as you promised you would be. 
You're going to have moments where you recognize that. And in those moments where you recognize your flaws and your faults, you will remember all the times that you have felt unloved. And those moments might cause you to say, I wonder, I wonder if God's love for me is fleeting. I wonder if he tires of me. I, I, I wonder if I let him down to such a degree he moves on to somebody else. And that is why I am done telling people that God loves them. Because I've been doing them a disservice. Because God loves you makes you into pizza or children or significant others. And all I want to tell you anymore is that you are so loved. Which means that there is nothing you have done, nothing you will do today, nothing you will do tomorrow that changes his love for you. Actually, actually, what I want to tell you is you have never been unloved. You have always been so loved by God. And so loved, love like that requires a response. It requires a response. I always love hearing wedding proposal stories. Can I tell you mine? You mind? Uh, we were living in Southern California at the time, and uh, one week I told Andrea that I was going to pick her up and that we were going to drive up to Ojai where we were going to go horseback riding or just do whatever it is people do in Ojai. Never even been to Ojai. But uh, instead, that Saturday, I picked her up and we drove to Union Station in downtown LA. It was like a scene from a movie. And we got on board a train and we headed for San Diego. And right away, Andrea knew this day is going to be different than he told me it was going to be. We got off at the last Amtrak stop, and uh, I went into the, the men's bathroom while Andrea, uh, you probably also went to the bathroom. Andrea's always going to the bathroom. And, and uh, uh, I mean, we all are. We all are always going to the bathroom, but she goes more than her share. But in my bathroom, uh, in my bathroom was a friend with a set of car keys who handed the car keys to me, and he had parked a Chrysler Sebring convertible that I had rented. I know I'm not a big spender, but I was a 25-year-old seminary student. Um, I had puzzle pieces that I had made on foam core hidden around the city of San Diego, uh, or the area. So we drove up to Mount Soledad, which is the best view in San Diego, and a puzzle piece was taped underneath a bench with a clue of where we should go next. And so she, she read the clue and figured it out and took the piece with her. And we went to the Museum of Contemporary Art. Uh, and inside the museum, looking over the La Jolla Cove, was another puzzle piece. And then we went on a horse and carriage ride through Seaport Village. And inside the carriage was a puzzle piece. And, and I can't even remember anymore where they all were. But there were probably like eight puzzle pieces, all clues around San Diego, culminating that evening in one final puzzle piece on Coronado Island. I had found this park looking out across the bay at the city skyline. And I asked my friends to, to go set up a table near the shore, because remember, I love the beach, a table with a candle on it. And Andrea and I got out of the car, and we walked down the path through this very dark park, and we came across this table with this beautiful view. And Andrea pulled out her puzzle pieces, and she started to put the puzzle together. The puzzle had the date on it, which now that I look back, it's kind of lame just to put the date on it. But it was red. The puzzle was red and in the shape of a heart. So maybe some points for that. And, uh, and she put the puzzle together, and then she turned around and looked at me, and I was down on one knee. And I said, Andrea, I love you. I choose you. Will you marry me? And she responded. 
She didn't leave me waiting. She didn't say, I, I got to think about that. She didn't say, let me try some other guys and I'll get back to you. <laughs> I poured out my love all day and she responded. And guess what? I love Andrea and I hope I've demonstrated that to her over 24 years, but I, I have not so loved Andrea the way that God loves you because he so loves you that he demonstrated it in this, that even with you being you, the good, the bad, the ugly you, he went and hung on a cross. Something far greater than a, a treasure hunt, puzzle pieces, and a view of the skyline. There is nothing greater than this, no greater love than this, no deeper love to lay down one's life. And the cross, the cross is Jesus down on one knee. And that kind of demonstration of love requires a response. And some of you have literally left him hanging. Knowing that he so loves you, what will you do with that? Can I tell you what it is to respond? It is to say, God, I am ready for the forgiveness of my sin to apply what you did to me, what you did on the cross. And I give you leadership of my life. Apply what you did on the cross to me. We call that grace. You can't earn it. You don't have to work for it. It is given out of his love for you. He gives you his forgiveness and his generosity. And you respond. You respond by giving him leadership. God, I will follow you in my life. Now, can I say, some of you have been waiting to do this. You've been thinking about it, and you've been considering it for a very long time. And it's a lot. It's a lot. I won't deny it. To know that you are that loved, that somebody would take your sins and go to the cross, and you can live in forgiveness, it almost feels too good to be true. So you have been waiting. And here's the thing about God. He is patient. He, he, he is down on one knee, and you both look at the San Diego skyline, and he's going, I've got all day. I mean, God's love is deeper than mine. Let's say for a second my proposal had gone differently. Let's say, let's say Andrea had not responded and she had just said, give me some time. All right, I would have done that, but I wouldn't have waited forever. God's love for you is so deep that even, it's deeper than my love for Andrea. God so loves you, he'll wait your entire lifetime. Your entire lifetime. Thing is, every day that you wait to respond is a day that you don't get to live in the life-changing experience of God's love. He will wait, but what you will miss while he waits is a life-changing experience of God's grace. And, and that life-changing experience of Jesus' grace is the thing that will bring you fullness and wholeness where the lack of love from others comes into your life. When the lack of love from others starts to get to you, when you feel unloved, you get to go, no, 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 no. I am so loved every day you wait. You miss living in that. And can I tell you, every day you wait, you miss living in your purpose. Because, can I tell you, and I know this sounds crazy, God has a purpose for you on this earth. And you find it when you respond to his deep love. I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Would you do that? And Derek is going to come out here and, and, and just sing a song to you, for you, and he's going to sing it over you about the depth of God's love. And here's what I want to ask you to do while he and the band sing. Would you just, 
think about your response, what it is, what it could be. Maybe you have already understood the depth of God's love and you've already responded to it long ago by giving God your life. And and maybe your response today is just to say to him, God, I am done telling people that you love them. From now on, I'm gonna explain that you so loved them that you would give your life, that you would go to the cross. Maybe that's your response today. I hope for many of you that it is. But there are others of you who have never formally said, God, I wanna believe and accept what you have done for me, this incredible demonstration of your love at the cross. And I wanna receive your forgiveness and make you the leader of my life. I I wanna live having experienced the deepest of loves in my life. And, And maybe right now there's just some business you need to do with God where you talk with him about that. Maybe today you are ready to respond, like really respond to his grace. You are done making him wait. And maybe that's something you want to tell him as Derek sings.
somebody around here responds to grace this way, we have these things called grace walls where we invite you to go up to one of these walls and screw in a bulb we give you. And that light going on represents God's light and his love going on in your life. And, and, and we, have, we have hundreds of these bulbs screwed in around this campus, each one representing somebody like you who responded to God's love. God down on one knee. Many of you have a bulb with your name on it out there somewhere. Anyway, we want to invite you out to the, the cross, which is just off our parking lot. You can't miss it. It's huge. And one of our pastors, Jody, who was up here earlier, she'll be out there today, and she would love to just hand you a bulb and walk you through how tangibly you can demonstrate this response to being so loved. Jody, you'll be out there. If you're new, I'd love to meet you. I'll be in the connection corner with Mike right off the side of this building. All right. Thank you for coming today. We'll see you next week for part two.